The Milk Run, Chapter 7, Final Run. The boats all headed out at full speed towards the secondary landing zone that Major Steuben had in, in his operations planning further up the channel between Bubion Island and Aljara, with John and the other LCM-6 bringing up the rear like before. Both boats had extra lookout stations to be on the watch for any more surprise patrol boats. As they all sped off in a northerly direction once more, John was about as stressed as a body could be at this point. The last confrontation was quick and dirty but an eye-opener to just how badly things could go sideways in a hurry with no advance warning. John promised himself to try and not get surprised lad again, but he realized in the next breath that there was no way he could keep that promise. All that mattered now was getting everyone to safety in one piece as best as he could. With all that just happened and the promise of more, Master Sergeant Thomas suggested that his crew carry weapons now just in case they get surprised again. John agreed and told Steve to gather up the two seamen and go with the sergeant to have weapons issued. Once they were given, they sat in an impromptu class on how to use and care for them. John would get his later after Steve relieved the helm watch. As the sun started to set on another fine day in the Persian Gulf, the little squadron that could kept trudging along towards their final goal. That drop-off point somewhere up ahead where the SF group would disembark with their gear and the sailors would figure out how to get out of Dodge and back to Bahrain. Once darkness settled across the water again, the word was passed. No running lights again tonight. Be as invisible as possible, but continue at full speed. They kept going until about 22.30 hours, when the red flashing lights come off from the lead boat to slow down. Once everyone dropped their speed to match the command LCM, the lieutenant came over the radio and had everyone try to get close aboard in order to try pass on new instructions. No fenders were lashing to the other boats this time. They didn't have time. They were very close to their next drop-off point and needed as much speed and visibility as possible this time. The plan was relatively simple. Command boat would head in at a crawl with three of the boats in a line behind them to provide cover of the beach. The last two would remain out a little to provide cover for the rear in case of another surprise in the sea. This will be John and his partner boat. Once they broke off, John and his running mate stayed in their current positions to wait for the other boats to get out of them. As they headed off on the new course, John and company followed at a safe distance with the lookouts now focused in seaward. Boats proceeded to set the new beach as slow as possible to keep the noise down. Then the command boat headed into a beach to drop their ramp. As they approached and drifted in, everyone could feel the tension in the air. Each boat was wondering if something would jump out at them from the pitch-dark beachhead. As soon as the bow of the bleed boat hit sand, they waited. Everyone down behind some cover to see if there was an ambush waiting for them. After a few minutes, the lieutenant gave the hand signal to lower the bow ramp to let the major and his squad off to set up perimeter watch. Once the ramp lowered far enough, they jumped off, fanned out into the darkness with their MVGs on and weapons at the ready, two of them carrying tow missile launchers on their backs. After waiting a few more minutes, the lieutenant had his deck crewmen, similar to the other three boats, to drift in quietly and let their squads off. By this time, it was a few minutes shy of midnight. It was pitch dark, no other lights than the red lines fly, flashlights of the sailors. Soldiers had their NVGs on. As the boats landed and dropped their ramps, a short shout came from the hills above the beach, and it wasn't the Americans. No one moved on the beach, and the sailors quietly got down behind anything they could for protection. Pretty soon, a sound like someone being mugged came from where the shout came from. One of the first soldiers came back to report they had found a guard posted in the hill above them, but they had neutralized him. Their worry was whether there were any more. The team sergeant wanted permission to send out a scouting party to see if anyone else is out there. Major Steuben gave his permission and he sped off to tell his sergeant. As a precaution, Major Steuben had his other squads move up the beach to augment those up in the hill area. 
and then motion Lieutenant Johnson over and ask him to bring in his squad from the last two boats as quickly as possible, then have those boats go back out and stand watch until the beach was secured. Divo gave the order, and a red light signal that John had been waiting for flashed in the night. Time to head in and drop off his cargo. The other boat out there with John also started to maneuver, but John thought that would leave their back door unprotected. He consulted with Master Sergeant Thomas, who agreed with him. Never leave yourself unprotected. John idled his engines back down and sat still. He watched the other boat idle in and drift ashore to discharge their cargo. As he watched the activities on shore, one of his aft lookouts said he thought he saw movement out there in the water behind him. John immediately swept into action. He ordered everyone to battle stations as quietly as possible and left Steve at the wheel to go have a look. As he tried looking out to where the soldier was pointing on the horizon, Mass Sergeant Thomas come up with MVGs on to have a look. Sure enough, small patrol boat was trying to ghost in from behind. As he continued to look through his NVGs, he spied another one coming in from the southeast, both moving slow to keep their noise down. Without the night vision goggles, they would have never seen him in time to get prepared. Everyone quietly let the fan tail, and John took over the helm from Steve. He told Steve to check the engines and running gear for anything amiss, as he was going to need everything he could give him in a few short minutes. Steve jumped down into the engine room to give everything the once-over. While they were getting ready, John grabbed his red lens flashlight and started waving it like a madman to get their attention on shore. Within seconds, one of the lookouts on shore spotted him and signaled out, asking him, What's up, in Morse code? John pointed his light aft towards the open water and started waving the light again. It took a minute for the message to register, then a lookout ran to the major and made the report. Since two of the four other LCMs had finished unloading everything, Lieutenant Johnson grabbed the captains and told them to get out there and help John fend off whatever was coming their way as best they could. They were too vulnerable on shore right now to be able to make a good defense against any patrol boats. They proceeded to get off the beach as quickly as possible. All pretense was finished. They revved up their engines and made haste to get out and help John. With no soldiers on board, it would be up to the four sailors on each boat to provide cover fire for the people on the beach. John had his SS squad still, but would it be enough? At least John had a couple of tow missile launchers on board and people skilled enough to fire them. John turned his boat around to meet the incoming patrol boats while everyone else on board prepared to fire on them once they got within range. Due to the darkness, no one could quite make out what they were up against just yet, and that worried John. Were they going to build, were they going up against a surface ship to ship missile launcher? So they were doomed. As the other boats made it off the beach and headed out towards John's position, Master Sergeant was finally able to see what they might be up against, and he was worried. He didn't see anything to look like missile launchers, but they did have heavy machine guns up forward and a small mini cannon on their aft deck, all which could be very deadly to the largely unprotected LCMs. Those guns could turn the LCMs to Swiss cheese and sink them. Their only hope lay in the tow missile launchers, and they could not afford to miss. That meant John had to let them get a lot closer than was prudent in order to launch them. John's slow-moving LCM-6 was not desired for a boat race nor any fast maneuvering in close quarters. He decided that his only hope was to draw them off because he knew that other boats probably already unloaded their tow missile launchers. They were meant to go with the SF soldiers, after all. John brought his boat around and headed towards the closest patrol boat. He wasn't sure what he was going to do once they got out there, but it's still better than waiting for them to come to him. As he headed out, he signaled the other two boats to stay where they were as backup in case the patrol boats got past him. Meanwhile, he noticed what looked like Chief's LCM-8 was also leaving the beach to help. Maybe they were bringing some missile launchers with them. Would Chief Armstrong be able to get out to John in time to help? John didn't have time to watch and learn the answer to that question. 
He had to figure out how to defend against two heavily armed Iraqi patrol boats by himself. If someone managed to step up, so much the better, but he couldn't afford to depend on that. As he headed out towards the first boat, John could see the outline in the dark. He asked Sergeant Thomas how close he needed to be in order to, for the tows to be effective. Master Sergeant said close, but at least under 4,500 meters. In the dark, the closer the better, as they would be sighting using MVGs. He knew how vulnerable Jones' boat was to heavy guns on a patrol boat and wanted to try and surprise them with the missiles. Maybe they didn't know about the other patrol boat from yesterday. Sergeant Thomas' idea was for his squad to lay low and for the Iraqi sailors to only see John and maybe one other. Lull them into a sense of false security if possible. John said, okay, let's see how that works out. John continued on his trajectory, but at a low speed. He didn't want them thinking he was attacking or running away, just coming out to have a friendly chat. As he got closer, Master Sergeant Thomas laid low on the deck to keep from being seen and gave John reports on what the enemy crew was doing. He said that they looked ready, but not overly aggressive, so maybe that was a good thing. But once they hit the first boat, the other one would come in with guns blazing. Sergeant Thomas then asked John if he might, if they might try a different plan, one that held more risk initially, but could mitigate the danger from the second boat. John didn't care. He wasn't a military strategist, and all he would listen to anything if he'd get his boat and crews home safely. The new plan was to see if they could lure the first patrol boat alongside, take the crew out as quietly as possible. The SF group had mufflers for their weapons, so the gun noise might not be heard by the other boat. If they could kill the crew without blowing up the boat, they would have a better chance of taking out the other patrol boat without losing any LCMs. John thought, well, what the hell? What did they have to lose at this point? If Master Sergeant thought he could pull it off, he was game. He agreed, asked what he needed to do. Sergeant Thomas told John to go a little further out and stop his boat, then wait for the patrol boat to get close enough for a visual, and try to wave him alongside as if for a chat. If they saw John was willing to expose himself and maybe one of his other crew, they might stand down a little bit and give him an opportunity to ambush them. John shuddered, but said fine. He would ask one of his seamen if they would assist. He didn't want to expose Steve, as Steve had a family back home. He also needed a backup coxswain if John didn't make it. John hollered for his crew to come up to the aft portion of the well deck without exposing themselves. As they laid out the new plan, he asked the two youngest if one of them wanted to volunteer themselves to stamp on a wheelhouse with him and pull off the ruse. Roger volunteered right off the bat before his buddy could say anything. John looked at Steve and Tim and said, If this goes sideways, get this boat back to safety if at all possible. Steve said, Will do, with Steve adding skipper afterwards with a smile. John helped Roger up to the deck and had him look like he knew what he was doing. Try not to be too scared, but John told him he was scared witless right now, but they would do what they had to do to survive the night, trusting the SF guys to get them through this. As they followed Sergeant Thomas' directions, they slowed the boat down when he told them to. John thought as he waited, how did they end up in this crappy situation? He hated waiting, especially now. This was worse than actually shooting at people. John started to remember when he used to go deer hunting. At least when you were hunting deer, you didn't have to worry about the deer shooting back. Now there was a very real possibility that these Iraqi sailors would get up close and just open up on John's boat before they could do anything. John tried not to think about that as he continued to wait for the patrol boat to get close enough to see the crew. Pretty soon the patrol boat got close enough to be seen without the MVG as John watched him approach. He didn't have an interpreter on board so wondered how any conversation was going to go. The other boat slowed down and started to come closer. Maybe they figured on taking us prisoner, John said to Roger. As they pulled alongside a little way off, they pointed all their guns at John and, and the boat. John kept his hands off to his side, avoid any aggressiveness, and waited to see if, what they were going to do. After a few minutes, the officer in charge said something to his helmsman, and they came alongside. 
Once the boat got within a few feet from John's starboard side, Master Sergeant Thomas' squad opened up with their squad weapons and shot everyone on the top deck of the pilot house. The forward gunner went down in a hail of bullets. The officer and the helmsman also went down pretty quickly, along with the aft gunner. The only thing left to do was jump aboard to clear the patrol boat of any other crew below deck. John and Roger grabbed a line and tried to hook a cleat with the other boat without success. Finally, John asked his buddy to pass him a boat hook. Once they had that, they pulled the boats together enough to get a line around a cleat, tied the boats together so Mad Sergeant and his partner could board and take care of any stragglers. After a couple of minutes, John heard a couple more muffled shots from below decks, then everything got quiet. Mad Sergeant Thomas and his partner came back up to report all clear. John stood there thinking, now what? As he waited to answer that, Mad Sergeant proposed that Steve take over the mic boat with his crewmen, John drive the patrol boat with his people on board, using partial Iraq uniforms to fool the other boat. John asked Steve if he was okay with that, and all three piped up and said, Sure thing, we got this. Go get him. John told Steve to head the boat slowly towards the other LCMs as if they had surrendered, and he would follow with his patrol boat, providing he could run it without needing a translator. Everyone chuckled, more out of nerves than anything else. As they all proceeded to head back towards the beach area, John looked at the Iraq patrol boat's console and wheelhouse. Thought he could get it where it needed to be going without looking like a total fool behind the wheel. As he was getting the feel of things, the soldiers were cleaning up the dead bodies, putting on uniform tops and hats. Master Sergeant Thomas decided to borrow the boat officer's uniform. He thought he would need to stand out to the other boat. The other fake crew, crew members could get away with a little less. Once the sergeant told John they were ready, John gave the throttle a goose to see how the boat would respond. They had a very powerful engine under the hood, he remarked but he thought he could manage to put on a good enough show for the other boat. Speaking of which, they had now managed to get close enough to see what was going on. As they watched and waited, the boat slowed down and sent a message over the radio. John had no way to respond. One of the SF soldiers stepped up to the radio and answered briefly in Farsi. John asked him what he said. Man just told Kim Captain was busy and would radio back in a few minutes. He hoped that his Yankee accent didn't get, give him away over the radio. As they proceeded towards the other LCMs, Chief Armstrong's boat had positioned themselves between the other patrol boat and the beach. As John looked out, he could see the other two boats still on the beach with people around. The other two LCM-6 were where John had last seen them, in position to intercept John's little flotilla. John doubted they knew what had transpired out in the dark, so he was a little worried they might try to shoot his boat before finding out who was in it. As they drew closer, John did his best to keep the patrol boat as close as possible to his LCM-6 to avoid any accidental shootings. Maybe they wouldn't take any chances of hitting his mic boat if he maintained close proximity. The only problem with that, he was trying to control this unknown boat without mishap. Once he got close enough, Steve, being the bright young man that he was, sent one of the seamen up forward to set off a red lens signal to tell the other boat captains that everything was good and stand down a little. While everyone was watching the show, Chief Armstrong's boat had been inching ever closer to the other patrol boat. In the pitch darkness, plus the distraction from the other patrol boat, they weren't paying attention the, until the LCM-8 was nearly on top of them. By then it was too late. One of the other soldiers popped up over the side, fired off a tow missile right into the pilot house, took out everything forward on the main deck. All the crew that had been topside died pretty much instantly. After that, as those couple of sailors below deck came up to see what happened, they were shot as they came up on deck. Chief left the boat to burn and turned his boat around to head back to the beach. John brought the captured patrol boat alongside his LCM, and they all jumped aboard, leaving the patrol boat to drift. Once back aboard his own boat, John wanted to kiss the deck, but thought that might be a little embarrassing. He asked if everyone it was all right, and all they could talk about was what it was like to drive the Iraqi patrol boat. John knew that everything was okay, as it could be for now. 
John turned his boat towards the beach to transfer the soldiers near Gear Shore. He would miss his SF group friends, but knew they still had a long way to go yet to finish their part of the mission. As he drifted in and dropped the bow ramp, soldiers all shook hands with John and his crew, wished them well as they went back to Bahrain. They would try and hook up again someday, if they could. Master Sergeant Thomas came up and told John that he was proud to serve with him and smiled, saying he would think twice before making fun of Swabies in the future. John laughed and said he would also have a lot more respect for them than he did before. Once they departed and moved off into the darkness to join up with the rest of the unit, the Major came over and told him he thought this Navy unit deserved a medal for going above and beyond the call of duty to get him and his men to their destination. He wouldn't forget them. Lieutenant Johnson came over and asked if everyone was okay and all replied, Yes, sir. They waited as the chief's boat unloaded all his soldiers and stood down. As all the SF soldiers headed out into the dark hills, Lieutenant Johnson wanted all the boat captains to know the next phase, which is to get themselves out of here without any more incidents. He wanted all the boats now on the beach to get off the beach, gather around for the next set of orders. As he walked off towards his own boat, John got ready to get his boat off the beach and out with the others. As he wondered as he was working whether the Iraq army had any assets on the beach while John was taking care of business out on the water. If so, they had likely been dealt with quickly and expeditiously like the crew on the first patrol boat. He hoped they all succeeded in their mission and didn't suffer any more casualties. As John backed off the beach and headed out towards the other waiting boats, he asked Steve to check their fuel levels. As he didn't know what the exfil plan was, he knew any other surprises, such as low fuel levels. Once John arrived and stood off with the other captains waiting for their orders, Steve came back to report that they had about 60% fuel level. Once the command boat arrived, Lieutenant Johnson got up and told everybody within earshot that their part of the mission was complete. The Navy had made plans for a pickup out to sea. A couple of LPDs and an LHA would be standing by to receive them once they made it out to them. The only bad part was getting there. They had a bit of a distance to go because Fleet Command didn't want to give away any possibility that they were operating in this area yet. So this squadron had to evade any more Iraq patrol units, head out into the Gulf towards a rendezvous point as best they could. Lieutenant Johnson needed all the boat captains to send over fuel and supply reports ASAP so he could relay them onto Fleet Headquarters. He would do so once they were out of sight of land. As John was counting MREs and water bottles, he couldn't help but think just how much more would they have to get through in order for them to get back to the base in Bahrain. It seemed so far away now. With the reports turned in, the little fleet headed out to sea. As they parted the little beach area where so much had happened overnight, the sun was starting to rise over the water on another day in the Gulf. Just another day for the sun and sand. John looked from his place in the formation and saw that one Iraq patrol boat had burned to the waterline and was still smoking. The other boat that he had set adrift had beached itself on shore and was listing hard to starboard as it lay aground. John set his sights on the boat ahead of him, told his crew to keep a sharp eye out for any more patrol boats. That smoke might make someone's curious come looking before they were all out of sight. He knew the SF group would be long gone, but his squadron was out there with little to no protection now. There would be no way to stand up to any boats like the ones they encountered last night. All he could do was pray for deliverance as they headed south down to the channel into the morning dawn.